Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Hey, hey, welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I am your host, and I'm a certified professional coach who specializes in confidence. In other words, I help world changers embody their light and magic. I love what I do. And if you want to learn more about what I do, head over to my website, kelseyabbott.com. All right. Now, before we get into this magical episode today, I thought this would be a good opportunity to bust the myth behind the idea that you have to take a linear path. Somewhere in our childhood, we start hearing things about, you know, we start being asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? And we develop this belief, and it may not happen as children, it may happen as adults, that we decide, we pick something early on, and then we take the steps one at a time in this straight line to get to where we want to go. And therefore, when we get to adulthood and we change our minds, we want to change careers, we feel like that's wrong. So that is a bunch of bullshit. And let me explain my own path to you. I majored in psychology and art history and minored in biology. I was actually more of a minor in a half in college. I dove into all of these subjects because I was passionate about each and every one. I was also committed to not taking organic chemistry, and this was a way around that. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was interested in animal behavior. I was interested in psychology, but I didn't like what I was seeing as the options in the psychology field. I didn't like the idea of noticing what was wrong with people, telling them there was something wrong with them, and then trying to fix them. That didn't feel good to me. So I went on to study dolphins and dolphin behavior and dolphin health. I thought about vet school because that would kind of be in the range of you know the things you were supposed to do. Because when I was a senior in college, I was told I mean, as an athlete, I was recruited to be an investment manager or in, in investment banking, and I knew right away that was a nope. But then I was asked, do you want to go to med school? No. Do you want to go to law school? No. Do you want to be a teacher? No. I don't want to teach in schools. Well, okay, then what's left? Oh, you must want to go to vet school. And because that was the only thing left, I was like, yeah, maybe. I ended up deciding, after doing a vet internship, deciding that wasn't for me because I I love animals too much. And I went on, I studied dolphins. I did some vet internships. I did some, ironically, I did some teaching as a naturalist, but it wasn't in a classroom. And then I went to grad school to study marine biology. I studied killer whales. And then I went on to work for the federal government. I worked for an NGO in there. You know, eventually I quit my job when I was offered a big promotion. I quit my job because it didn't light my soul on fire at all. I remember the day when I looked around the conference room, we were having a staff meeting, and I realized that this, everything we're doing 
it lights their souls on fire. They love this stuff. They love being in a cube. They love these rules and regulations. The only thing I loved was getting to talk to the scientists that I had communicated with as a grad student. This wasn't where I was supposed to be. And so I quit that job and I became a science writer. And on the side, starting when I was 16, I was always coaching swimming. And coaching swimming then evolved into teaching group fitness, which evolved into personal training, which evolved into coaching triathletes. And then one day I learned about life coaching. I saw a post on Facebook and I reached out to that friend and I was like, oh my God, what is this? What are you doing? How do I get involved? And I was signed up for life coaching school the next day. A few months later, I started life coaching school. On day one, I knew I was exactly where I'm supposed to be. So, so many people are like, how did you go from being a marine biologist to being a certified professional coach? And there's this Steve Jobs quote that my friends Jen Gottlieb and Chris Winfield love. It goes something like this. You can't connect the dots looking forward, but you can connect the dots looking backwards. So I followed the joy. I followed what lit my soul on fire and it led me to professional coaching. I don't think this career existed when I was a kid, but if it had, is it where I was supposed to go? Should I have set my sights on this early on? No, I followed the exact path I was supposed to. I learned just what I was supposed to learn in each step along the path. And you know what? When I look backwards, I see how clearly the dots connect. I see that as a marine biologist, I followed my curiosity. I was asking questions. I was asking questions of the environment. I was asking questions of the marine mammals. And they were a little slower to respond. Now, as a professional coach, I ask questions of my clients. They, of course, respond a lot faster. But I'm doing the same thing. It's just different. It's the same, but different. As I became a science writer because I was super, I just loved watching people light up. Light up when I taught them a fact or shared some little secret about marine science. I coached athletes because, oh, the joy of watching somebody empower themselves. The joy of watching somebody do something for the first time, the joy of seeing the light go off in their head, the light that happens when they realize, oh my God, I am enough. I am powerful. That is what lit my soul on fire. Put all those things together and you get professional coaching. And here I am. And this just feels like a good topic to lead into today's episode with Christine McAllister. This woman is amazing. This conversation is tons of fun. We go, we go everywhere into all of her businesses. She drops some wisdom bombs on us. And you know what? Just listen. Love it. And please share on social media and tag me and Christine. We both can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is Christine McAllister. She's a business coach for high achieving women high achievers. We just talked about this. She is a business coach for high achievers. And I'm just going to say right now before I welcome her that we've been talking for like 20 minutes. We talked for like an hour before and I feel like we're best friends now. I have no idea where this conversation is going to go and I am so excited for it. So welcome, Christine. Thanks. Me too. So where shall we begin? 
oh, you tell me. There's so many ways we could go, like we were talking about. There. Let's start with how you became a business coach. Okay. So my company, Life with Passion, is my fourth business. And in a nutshell, I grew up knowing I wanted to do my own thing, always being the kid who was pet sitting as a side hustle because I'm obsessed with animals and walking dogs and taking care of cats and uh, finding ways to like work off horseback riding lessons. And I continued that, that love for side hustling into college where I studied media and knew that I wanted to have my own thing. At that time, I thought it was going to be an agency with my best friends from college, all of whom were guys. And I was the producer, like they were the creatives or the really technical people. And I was the one who kind of like pulled the team together and get everyone there on time and like put the right people in the right roles and bring about a strategy to create a great music video or a great documentary or a great commercial or whatever it was. But the thing was that at that time I couldn't see how to create my own business. And frankly, I was really scared because nobody was doing that, right? Nobody was just planning to go out on their own and run their own agency after school. And so I went to grad school next because I love school and I wasn't sure quite what I wanted to do. So I decided to keep learning. And had a great experience in school, did some freelancing, uh, both undergrad and graduate school. I got to work at the Olympics um, for the first time, what would turn out to be one of three times I got to work at the Olympic Games and in broadcasting. And began to hone my skills as somebody who could get hired as a freelancer. So I took a job right after school, after grad school, because again, I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of running my own business and I was scared. And I worked as a professor and then as a career counselor at universities for several years after school, all the while beginning to build up my own side hustle as a digital marketing agency in a really, really small niche because I it was what I loved. I was great at it. I had learned it. I had studied it. And I was really, really good at working with clients, helping them get the result that they wanted and using my skills. So I did that for several years while working in a nine to five, knowing I was meant to be my own boss. And after six years as, a, as an employee with a side hustle, I finally quit my job uh, and went full time to work for myself in my digital marketing agency in 2010. And along the way, I started two other businesses, one with a partner, another one on my own, breeding Arabian horses, which I still have today. And in 2015, I had a major like life awakening, life changing moment. And I decided out of that moment to take everything I learned running these businesses for so long as a side hustler and then as a full-time um, business owner and start teaching other people how to do it. Because I had figured out how to make it simple and easy after struggling and feeling overwhelmed for so many years. And I knew that that was my passion, to help other people figure it out who had that dream but couldn't figure out how to make it happen. I'd figured out how to make it happen. I figured out how to replace my income in the first month. And I thought, this is what I meant to do in the world is to help other people do it. Because now I know how and it doesn't 
have to be as hard as most of us think it has to be. Mm. Preach. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a struggle. No, it doesn't. In fact, if it feels like a struggle, you're probably, I feel like it's like you're, you need to maybe shift like one degree in one Mm. direction. Like you got the right idea, but if it's hard, no, you're not, we're not supposed to muscle through it. That's not the point, right? Like yes. if, it's, if, you, if you hate it and it sucks and it's a grind, just go get a job and you can feel that way. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to have all the angst of, oh, I'm running my own business, it's so hard. But you're right, when, you're, when your personality and your preferences and your passions are all aligned, then it's just about like matching up the right strategy with all of those things and you have a successful business. Yeah. Boom. It's just like that. Like that. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So you said so much. I want to dig back into your history a little bit. Um, okay. I'm going to try and do it chronologically. And I love that you were going to be the producer. You knew already in college what your strengths are. Cause you yep. knew you can bring people together. You can organize, you can keep everyone in line. And when we talked earlier, you're what an INTJ. INFJ. INFJ. The rarest of the types. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, is that, what does that mean for people who may not be familiar with Myers-Briggs? Yeah. So in the Myers-Briggs, I, my type is an INFJ. It's less than 1% of the population. And really, it, in one of the theories or one of the books that's been written about it has called it the teacher-counselor type. So Ironically, I became a teacher when I was a professor and then literally a counselor, career counselor. But it's, it's a person who loves to impart knowledge and who loves to be in possibility in ideas and then help to bring them about. So there's, there's a part that's very, very intuitive, very sensitive, very empathetic and, and introverted. And then there's a part that's very structured. Like I was the kid with the day timer in middle school who does that, you know, and (laughs) it was like the big corporate one that my dad had to buy for me because they didn't have day timers in middle school decades ago. Um, There were no Lisa Frank day timers. (laughs) So, so it was, it, it was a very, it is a very clear set of preferences that kind of combined to be right brain and left brain which is why I could talk to the really technical people who like couldn't talk to maybe normal humans. (laughs) And then, and and same with the creatives who couldn't talk to the technical people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the same now in business, right? Like it, I find that we're going to, obviously we're going to have strengths, right? And we're going to have some areas that we don't like as much. So learning to delegate those or learning to really, really play and play up our strengths. It's, simply a set of transferable skills, right? Whether I'm working as a producer, professor, career counselor, entrepreneur, using the stuff that you're really naturally good at is what ultimately energizes you and gives you a business you love. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just going to repeat that in case anyone missed that. Using the stuff you're naturally good at. That's what lights you up. We all are naturally good at stuff. It's so true. Every one of us is unique, right? And then you add like everyone and you add experiences on top of that and the things that you've achieved as well as the things that you've survived. Mm -hmm. And you have this really strong base of confidence if you'll choose to look at it that way because you've already done, been through whatever 
all of that stuff. And I think that a lot of times we make it too hard on ourselves. Like we think we have to beat ourselves up to improve our weaknesses instead. And I think that what we know now is that that's very, that's a very outdated modality of like performance. And I'm sure that you could share this from the triathlete training Mm -hmm. side, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly you don't want to not be able to swim if you're going to do a triathlon, but where does it make more sense to focus your efforts, right? Yep. And it's the same in business. If, if I hate analytics and data and math, then I shouldn't be spending 90% of my time trying to better that. It's what one of my math major friends in college called like the region of inefficiency. If you imagine an S curve, what, you know, like the S curve where you get to a certain point near the top of the graph and he would liken it to studying for an exam. Like maybe you have to study five hours to get to like a low A Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the next five hours are just going to get you like another point or two. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, you got to let go of the region of inefficiency. I, I just love that phrase. And for me, well, I, I actually kind of like math, but thank you. I'm so glad that you do. We need you. <laughs> I kind of like math, but looking at numbers. So when we talked earlier, I was like, yeah, I don't look at the podcast numbers because what lights me up about the podcast is talking to people yeah. right now. And I know my history. When I look at numbers, I make up stories. So I will know the numbers will be meaningless to me. And yet I'll be like, oh my God, no one's listening. So I've made the decision to not do that to myself. You know, eventually I will hire somebody to do that for me because that is my region of inefficiency. I would say it's my region of like shitting all over myself. Like I'm just not nice to myself. It actually like drains you, right? Because you get really attached and then you create a meaning around it that doesn't help you create more good content, have more good conversations. You just get all up in your head. Yes, exactly. So let's stay out of there. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So other things I wanted to ask you, what did you get to do at the Olympics and which Olympics did you get to do this at? So my school, which I moved from Orlando to a small town in Kentucky to go to, never having imagined I would go to Kentucky, much less settle there. It's where I live now. Uh, it specializes its biggest major, its biggest program what it's known for worldwide is having this wonderful media communication program. And so I was lucky enough to go there as a student and then to come back as a professor to teach in this world-renowned program. They also have a connection where you can apply as a student to get to go work for what's called the host broadcaster at every Olympic Games. And so you, you go through training. Obviously, there's an application process. And if you're accepted, you get to assist uh, at every venue for every sport there's one broadcaster that covers every athlete every team every heat everything for every country so that if you are a tiny country with one athlete you can still get high quality footage of what you want and you can broadcast at home and if you are a huge delegation you get everything covered and your commentators can commentate on it in your own language and add your own graphics and everything to it. But 
there's one company in charge of all of that. And so what I did was go work for that company uh, in Salt Lake uh, in 2002, which was just a few months after 9-11. So it was a domestic uh, Olympics, but it was a pretty crazy time in our country's history. So that was a really interesting experience. And there I got to work at short track speed skating and figure skating, actually be on the ice for some of it, which is oh my God. like, Figure skating is my favorite winter sport, so it's like such a dream come true. And short track speed skating is insane. It's insane. Like people are sliding towards you with their, I was in a white suit in the middle of the ice with the people going around us and, you know, they're sliding towards you with their like razor blades blades, and their Their weapons. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) And their legs are like bigger than you can possibly believe, much bigger than they look on TV. (laughs) And then I worked, um, as a professional in, in uh, 2012 in London, uh, I worked in basketball. And then in 2014, I worked at Sochi and spent a month living in Russia and working sort of on the uh, logistics side of things, helping VIPs and athletes get access to come into the main media center to do interviews, get tours of the studios, that kind of thing. That is so cool. It was an amazing experience. It's one that I have uh, a young child now. So the past couple of them have not been <laughs> good fits for me to go live somewhere in a foreign country for a month. But it's, it's something that I would like to do again in the future when the timing is right for my life. And the best part about it is getting to meet the people that you get to meet. Because I, I worked with crews from different nationalities, different backgrounds. You know, in Russia, it was an all Russian crew with me and one Irish girl, an all Russian crew working this 24 hour office. And you just get to make friends with people that I'm still friends with, right? Years and years later. And, and these experiences, um, in addition to getting to see how that sporting event works up close. But what an amazing experience and opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And I'm really, really grateful for so when you were a little girl in Orlando, what led you to deciding that media was what you wanted to study? That is a great question. So I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, being animal obsessed. And what are you supposed to do when you love animals, right? So you want to be a vet. Yeah, because that's the only option you think at the time. Exactly. So from the time I was four or five, probably when I decided I wasn't either going to work at McDonald's or be an astronaut, which are my first two career choices. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Then it was vet. And like, I didn't play house as a kid. I'm the oldest, all my younger siblings, I made them play like vet clinic. And so I was always going to be a vet. And when I was in high school, my parents had the foresight to take me to do some aptitude testing uh, from somebody that they really, really trusted ran basically at that time, an in-person whole battery of tests. Uh, to assess your preferences and your strengths, right? And what would come harder to you. And what came out of that was the woman sat down and looked me in the eye and she said, Christine, I know you want to be a vet, which I hadn't told her. It just came through, right? In my answer, she said, I know you want to be a vet and you could do it, but you have natural strengths in English, in writing, in that side of things. And you are going to struggle in math, in inorganic chemistry, 
And it's going to be really frustrating for you that you're going to have friends that it's going to come easily to. And she's like, you'll make it. You'll be fine. You're a great student. You can do it, but it's not going to come easily. And so my recommendation for you is that you think about something that takes your strengths and moves you toward um, using more of those. And that was kind of devastating for me to hear, but I picked it up and went with it. And I still took AP bio that next year and I skipped uh, fetal pig dissection day. And that was a real good clue for me, <laughs> but I wasn't going to be able to make it through vet school. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I thought, you know, she's right. She's right. This is frustrating for me. My friends who have this strength are just rocking it. And I wasn't making bad grades and I passed the AP bio tests and all of that, but it wasn't like writing where I could sit down and pour out a thousand word essay in a half hour and people be like, wow, she's a really good writer. So writing, communicating, organizing, all of this led me to looking at and combining that with like a level of creativity and bringing ideas to life that led me to media. And then of course, looking at like, what are the great schools for it and who will give me a scholarship <laughs> led me to Kentucky. <laughs> It's so interesting though, because I feel like most people when they're like, oh, okay, English is what comes easily to me, they would think, okay, I'll go to journalism school or okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be an author mm -hmm. to media. Yeah. So it's, I did take some journalism classes, found that I don't like the, I didn't at the time, like the style of journalism that to me felt intrusive because I, being an introvert, I'm like a pretty private person. I only want to share on my terms. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't like that. And I really, really liked the combination of being in visuals as well as, as words. Now, today, journalism looks very different, right? Most reporters are taking their own pictures, video, all that. That time is not how it was. Seems like it's so long ago. <laughs> but in the world of journalism, yes. And it, it turns out that now writing is a core component of my business. I have written a book, you know, all of these things where the theme is still very much, I'm getting to use those strengths, but like it just combining them in a different way where I've written a lot of copy for clients and I was doing online marketing. Right. And now I help my clients with a lot of their messaging. It's just going, there are so many possible career paths um, because that's just kind of a core strength of communicating. One of the things that I love about the world right now, about 2019, is so I I wasn't as um, well. I don't know. We'll just say advanced as you. I said I wanted to be a doctor for furry animals. I did not use the term veterinarian. I love that. We share that in common. <laughs> yeah. So um, at the time. And I don't know, then I wanted to be a marine biologist and I became a marine biologist. Yeah. Although I did have a struggle in college. They were like, what do you want to do? do you, I was an athlete, so I got recruited for all these uh, investment banking companies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I do not. I know that's a no. So they were like, law school, med school, vet school. And I was like, I don't, maybe vet school, but that's not really what I'm passionate about. But they didn't give me any other options. What I'm getting at here is, if I had known that professional coaching was a thing, which maybe it wasn't when I was in college, when I was a kid, is that what I would have said I wanted to be when I grew up? 
Mm. I love that like now things, these things exist, like what you're good at, what you want to be. Okay, go be it. Yes. Yes. It's such a beautiful time to be able to literally choose your own destiny, right? Choose your own adventure. And I think in some ways, like our brains haven't caught up to that being a real thing because we are literally pioneers in this space. You know, it didn't exist the way that it does when we were kids. And if all you've ever done is work a nine to five, it's like, that can't be real. People couldn't, people wouldn't really pay me to do something that comes so easily to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like, that's scary. That's not practical, whatever. When you and I both know there are a ton of people out there doing it now, including us. But I do think there's a way in which our brains are just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is what we've been doing for 100, 200 years. Like, we need to catch up. Yeah. It's not quite embedded in the DNA yet because we're still so much at the forefront of, of this new way to work. Yeah, just as social media and smartphones, that's all one big experiment that we're all yeah. part of right now. There's no control group. But we're just going to figure out what happens with it. Yes, right. And you and I both remember a time before social media, right? Yeah. (laughs) I remember remember even telling my husband, he was on Facebook before I was, and I was like, that's sketchy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be on that. Yeah, yeah. It is, is a very, very fascinating time to be alive and a really exciting time to do things on your own terms right? If you choose to. Yeah. The world needs, like we all have these different strengths and the world needs us. Yes. The world needs those different strengths. Yep. And one of the things that I believe is true too, is that we all have different causes that we're passionate about. And I believe that the more successful we can be right financially, if we truly listen to the causes that make us excited and we give back. I believe we all have a big range of things we're passionate about for a reason, because if we all thrive and we're all able to give back, then I believe that like all of those causes are served, right? The world mm-hmm. is served because that's why we have them. That's why they're different. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. You just put words to, I guess it's not a thought. Is it, is it a thought if it doesn't have words? But something I've kind of been, this has been percolating for a while. Thank you for that. Yeah, maybe you'll come up with a great phrase for it. Like my mm-hmm. friend uh, Dave came up with the region of inefficiency. I know. I'm going <laughs> to use that. I'm just going to tell people, I'm in my region of inefficiency right now. You don't want me here. No. I can serve the world so much better from other regions, but not this one. <laughs> This is my mayday. Get me out of here. So you had four different businesses. Yes. What are they? So my first business started as Side Hustle took me full time was an online marketing agency. Uh, and I then started a company with a friend making natural cleaning products, which I turned over to her when I... Um, got pregnant with my first child because 
even as many things as I like to be doing, I knew that something had to give. <laughs> her, she had the bandwidth to do it. Uh, and then I started a business breeding, um, like preserving a rare bloodline of a of Arabian horse. Uh, because I always wanted to own horses and never did until I was an adult. And then, of course, being business-minded, thought, oh, I wonder if there's a way to monetize this. <laughs> and I still have that business. And then my fourth business is Life with Passion, the one that I run full-time today. I love it. And do you have the same why for each of your businesses? It's evolved. I would say if you look at the common themes, they've always been there. My awareness of them has gotten greater. So mm -hmm. I knew that being a teacher counselor helper by nature, I knew in the online marketing business, like I was so passionate about helping small business owners who had a great business and needed, needed help getting visible with this new media, right? Whether it was a website or Facebook or whatever, getting in front of the right people, getting targeted leads. You know, I, only took on clients I was really excited about promoting because I was putting my heart into it. So it was helping them to grow their business. And also looking back on it, I was the one leading with strategy. I wasn't going, Oh, you want a website? Let's do that. I would go, no, let's talk about why you want the website. Like, what do you want it to do for you? And then I will help you figure out if you actually need a website or not. Right. And let's figure out da, 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 right. What's the, so the same questions I'm asking my clients now. Right. The horses, it's been really, really cool because I knew that it was my love and I knew that I believed in like preservation of this, of this breed, this ancient, ancient breed. The, the people who have bought the horses that I've bred have been women who have dreamed of owning a horse their whole life, just like me. And we've become friends and these horses are like their forever horses, like I feel about mine. And so that has been just as rewarding, although obviously the number is much smaller, right? That has been just as rewarding as helping my clients in online marketing, my clients as, as business coaching clients to ultimately live their dreams, right? So that's the theme, the whole theme of like life with passion, of living what you were created to do, living what you are excited to do and what you've dreamt of doing. Always always the wise is helping people go from surviving to thriving. Yeah. You're a dream enabler. Oh, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> you're all, you. You can do what you want with that. <laughs> I have a habit of dropping or well, giving people new titles that they tend to run with. All right. I'm writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's shift gears to your, your story, Christine, has so many different facets. And we've, we've talked about you as a business person, as an entrepreneur, as a broadcaster, as everything, as an animal lover, just everything. And there's, we know that you and I know that there's a piece of your story, a big piece of your story that we haven't talked about yet. Yep. Let's go there. Okay. So I mentioned when I was talking about my background that in 2015, I had like a major life event that caused me to shift focus from online marketing to starting my current business. And that was a personal tragedy. So what happened was I was 
humming along in my online marketing business, I had this feeling in the back of my head that like, if you've read the book, The Big Leap, uh, he calls it your zone of excellence. I was really good at it. I had never, I had never marketed my online marketing business and I was always booked out based on referrals. But I knew that there was some level of growth I was supposed to go to next. I was just comfortable enough that I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, yes. But I hadn't hit the point of being frustrated enough to do something about it. Uh, I was pregnant with my first child. And I had had a history of early miscarriages. I had had three early miscarriages. But this pregnancy had gone perfectly. And it was really just a matter of putting up my feet and waiting to go into labor. Literally, the car seat was in the car. I just had my last baby shower. And I went to a routine doctor appointment. Oh, let's see how things are coming along at the right before my due date. And the heartbeat for this baby, we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, the heartbeat was gone. And there was no indication that this was a possibility. It had been a perfect pregnancy. I wasn't high risk. And I then had to go straight to the hospital from the doctor's office, get admitted to labor and delivery with all the other people who are going to have babies and be induced to deliver a baby who was already gone. And as you can imagine, that totally turned my world upside down. I didn't even know that was a possibility in pregnancy. People talk about the first trimester being the, the part to get through, right? Once you get through the first trimester, then it's safe to announce because, you know, that's where the risk is. And that had been my experience. And I just, it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't on my radar until it happened to me that this was a thing that could even possibly happen in the United States to a healthy person who had, quote unquote, done everything right. And so, I mean, you might be wondering, like, what the heck does, like, losing a child have to do with entrepreneurship, right? This devastating experience that I had. But what happened in my life is that I, I realized that this, this experience could define me as a person who was crushed by it and never recovered, or as a person who chose to make something, some, something good out of it. And I had this really strong sense of like, I've got to figure out how to be a parent to this baby that isn't here to make a, uh, a name for herself, right? To make any memories here on earth. And I was kind of seized with this thing, this feeling of I, I want to make her proud, mm -hmm. right? I want her to be proud of me, what I do with my life. And I also want her to be proud of like what I do with her legacy. And so that was my invitation to myself, I guess, to figure out what the heck I was supposed to be doing with my life on a grander scale and get over that next level of fear and self-doubt and just freaking do it already. And so just a few months after losing her, 
I decided to get serious about it. And to me, getting serious usually means like <laughs> investing some time and money <laughs> to actually show up for the discomfort of it. Because otherwise I can just talk about it forever. So I hired my first coach, not being familiar with this world, but seeing someone who is basically living a life on purpose and living a life with meaning. And I hired her to help me figure out at the time what I thought was, hey, let me turn this online marketing business into something more meaningful and, and something that really, really scales and uses my gifts and you know, is representative of what I want to be in the world. And what I realized in the process is I was going to take my favorite parts of that business and turn it into a new business, helping other people like we've talked about. Um, so that is why I do what I do today. Mm. What a beautiful legacy. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think that one of the things I've learned is for any parent who's lost a child of any age, like the, the biggest fear is that the child will be forgotten, right? Especially in our case where we never even got to see her eyes, right? We never got to hear her voice. And only a handful of people who are in the room with us ever like saw her, you know, yeah. physically. And I, in, in running your own business, like we've talked about, there's so much opportunity to do it on your own terms. And one of the beautiful things about this is that I get to, I get to talk about her, right? Like I get to share her name and I get to share that she did inspire me and I get to share that she was real and, you know, and I get to create space for other people to talk about their the things they've overcome, the things they've experienced, whether it has anything to do with pregnancy, infant, child loss or not. Because most of us have had moments that we can look back on and say, like, that was the moment I decided something was going to be different. That was the moment I decided to show up for myself. That was the moment I decided to turn things around. And if you haven't, like, that can be now, right? It literally is just a decision. Some of us just, for me, it took being hit over the head with like a terrible, terrible frying pan of a tragedy mm -hmm. to get me to wake up and move past it. But I really believe that, that you don't have to go through a tragedy either to wake up to, to living your legacy, right? Yeah. I know a lot of people say that the universe will tap us on the shoulder, then hit us with a two by four, and then comes the Mack truck. Mm. You got the Mack truck. Yeah, the Mack daddy of Mack trucks. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story. And I, I am so touched that we're able to honor her legacy right here in this space. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. Oh God, it's an honor, a huge one. And you are your dream enabler. You're take like I'm not gonna ask you for numbers because we just talked about I don't really do numbers, but like just in in theory, like in a rhetorical question, how many dreams have you or how many lives have you changed because because you decided to honor her legacy. Oh. That was the, the pivot in your plan. Yep. 
big time. And what it, a beautiful, tragic gift. Yeah, it's both, right? Like, I think that there's a gift of, of gratitude in any grief. Mm-hmm. Because the reason that you have grief is because <laughs> you're sad that things are different than the way that you wish they were. Right. 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 So there's a gratitude for what you had and a grief that you don't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that honoring both, you know, and, and like you said, like I'm sitting here when you say, Oh, we're not going to talk about numbers. Like, you know, I mean, every once in a while I pay attention to how many people are in my Facebook group, but like, like, I don't think I couldn't even tell you, you know, I couldn't tell you how many people have bought my book or, this or that or whatever, because to me, it's just the mission, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I know it'll be stages. I know it'll be national television. I know all that stuff is on the way. And also, I know the mission is the same right now, you know? And what, how do you phrase your mission? What is your mission? I've often said that it's to help as many people as possible go from surviving to thriving like I did after mm -hmm. I lost Maeve. But I would add that I believe for those of us who have the desire, entrepreneurship is the best way to do that. Entrepreneurship on your own terms. And so largely that's how I enable people to live their dreams, right? Is teaching them how to make entrepreneurship simple to build a business around their unique gifts and passions and the way they want to live their life. And I believe anyone can do it if they want to. Mm. And that's what I want people to know. What do you want? Well, what do you want everyone? I mean, you just said what I was going to ask you, which is what do you want everyone to know? Maybe it's just entrepreneurs or every human on the planet or every parent or every woman. Yeah. That's a great question. I would say that in my experience, what is universal to the people I've connected with all over the world is we seem to be genetically wired to let fear drive a lot of our lives, a lot of our decisions. And if you look at how the human species has survived to this point, there's a reason our brains are wired that way, right? But I also believe that for those people listening to this show, like the access that you have now to information like this, to training, to the science of neuroplasticity, like we know that now that's a choice. Yeah. You don't have to live with that default, that negativity bias that you're born with. And that most of us are societally, culturally, and in our families raised with, mm -hmm. right? Because it's gotten passed down. And you literally have the ability to take that lesson and apply it to whatever you want to achieve in your life. It doesn't matter if it's business. It doesn't matter if it's your family. It doesn't matter if it's you want to ride a horse too, you know? Most of us talk ourselves out of the thing we really, really want because ultimately it's fear. We might call it like practicality. We might call it, oh, you know, I, I don't want people to criticize me or 
I need to stay safe or whatever. Uh, I don't know enough, right? But the truth is it's just fear. Fear of being found out, fear of failure. And the, there's this woman who wrote this book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she's a hospice nurse. Her name is Bronnie Ware. And she found that like the number one regret at the end of people's lives was that they didn't live a life true to what they wanted. That they lived a life true to what other people wanted. And so you take that fear piece, maybe a fear of being alone. Like I don't want to be in this relationship or, or I don't want to be alone. It's better to be in a less than stellar relationship or I don't want to move or I don't want to leave jobs. I don't want to start my own thing. Like whatever you're sitting there thinking about that you would love to do, you can apply this neuroscience to it and begin to build confidence and make a different choice because you have a different brain. And I think like that's the greater lesson, no matter what it is that you want to do with your life, whether it's run your own business or live in a different house or live in a camper or run some crazy ass race. (laughs) It really is a mental game. And when you recognize that you have that power to change how you think, which then of course change your actions, it changes the entire game and trajectory of your life. And that's my rant. It was so beautiful. (laughs) I loved every second of your rant. (laughs) I wanted you to keep going forever and ever as a hundred percent with you. Like, yes. And then, and that's all I have to say in response to it is yes. Perfect. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. All the good things. I'm cheering you on. Oh, and I kind of want to keep talking to you. I mean, I do want to keep talking to you, but that was such a good piece to end on. So I'm going to end it. All right. How can people get your book, work with you, follow you? How can they get as much of you as possible? Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you can get a free chapter of the book, which outlines the seven steps to replacing your income and making six figures doing what you love uh, at lifewithpassion.com slash free chapter. And that will give you some insight into, into how I work, into what this is all about. You can find me uh, at lifewithpassion.com and on Instagram and Facebook, Life W Passion. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Maeve. This is beautiful. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group. Find your awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, KelseyAbbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome. Awesome.